Hey family, this is Josh Eggerson. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Faith Restored podcast. Faith Restored is a local church with a global mission to reach the lost and teach the found. And it's our hope that the word you're about to hear today encourages you, inspires you, and builds your faith. If you'd like to learn more about Faith Restored, you can visit us on our website at faithrestored.church. Now let's go live into this week's message. Romans chapter 12, I'm going to be reading from verse 19. If you would, uh, stand to your feet in honor of the reading of God's word. Amen. Hallelujah. (laughs) Amen. I'm going to begin reading at verse 19, and I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we have it on the screen for you. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. One more time, verse 19, it says, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. Leave room. Leave room for the wrath of God. Amen. You may be seated. I want to preach for a little while using as a subject, let it go. Let it go. Father, thank you for this time. Help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let it go. When my son was about two years old, we went home to Nebraska to visit our family for the holidays. And if you know anything about my children, then you know that my son, Joshua Jr., loves snacks. Loves snacks any kind of snack. If he hears you unraveling a wrapper, he's gonna come running because he loves snacks. And one of his favorite snacks is fruit snack gummies. He loves gummies. And my parents discovered this during that holiday visit. And one afternoon, I was upstairs in my parents' living room. They have a fairly large home. I was in the living room. And I heard my son crying from my parents' bedroom. So I got up from my comfortable position on the couch to find my mother laughing with my son crying because his hand had gotten stuck in one of the decorative vases in my parents' room. My mom explained to me that she had given my son two packs of fruit snacks and after devouring the first pack, my son took the second pack and began to throw it up in the air. He'd throw it up and it would fall on the ground. He'd pick it up and he'd throw it up and it would fall on the ground. But the third time he threw it, it didn't land on the ground. Somehow or another, it landed inside of the vase. And my son, who was determined to have his snack back, sticks his arm inside of the vase and grabs the fruit snacks that are at the bottom of the vase. He has it in his hand, but unfortunately he's not able to remove his clenched fist from the vase. Because the opening on the vase was large enough for the fruit snacks to fall in by themselves. 
It was large enough for him to get his hand outstretched in by itself. But the opening on the vase was too small for my son to pull out the fruit snacks in his clenched fist out of the vase. The only way that my son could get free from his self-imposed prison was for him to release what he was holding on to. But instead, he was crying, frustrated, and unable to be free because something that he was holding was actually holding him. And he wouldn't let it go. And whether we're willing to admit it or not, beloved, that's where many of us find ourselves right now. Many of us are stuck, unable to move forward in life, in love, and in purpose because we are being held prisoner not by something as trivial as fruit snacks, but many of us are being held prisoner because we refuse to release the pain of our past. We have grudges that we insist on holding on to and offenses that we refuse to release. And the truth is, for many of us, life hasn't been easy. We've had to deal with hurt and with pain and with betrayal and with disappointment. We've had our hearts broken because we were expecting people to be as loyal to us as we were to them. We've had to carry the weight of trying to be the bigger person when we were being lied on and insulted and disrespected. We've experienced things at the hands of people that were so damaging and painful that we told ourselves we'd never go through those kind of things again. And so to protect ourselves, we built up walls and we claimed that we're fine and we say that we've forgiven them because that's what we're supposed to say as Christians but the truth is on the inside we really have not forgiven them because we're holding on to the memory and the feelings of what they did to us and it secretly affects everything that we do and we know it to be true because some of us move too slow in life because we're holding on to the criticism of people and we're afraid to fail. Some of us move too fast in life because we feel like we've got something to prove to people who said we'd never make it. We'll ruin new relationships and, and friendships and runaway people that God has sent to bless us all because we are unable to let go of the pain of our past. And I know y'all are looking at me crazy wondering why I'm preaching this, but this is important for us as Christians. Because as Christians, by definition, we are a forgiven people. And if we are a forgiven people, then the Bible says that we should be a forgiving people. Because Jesus said to him who is forgiven much, they love much. Uh huh. But when we think about all the times that we hurt God's heart and we let him down and instead of him taking out his anger on us, he showered us with his love and his mercy. When we think about that, we should be the first ones eager to extend forgiveness. But instead, there are many people who claim to love God and follow Christ who are paralyzed by pain because they are holding on to their Bibles in one hand and their grudges in the other hand. Okay, y'all ain't gonna say nothing to me. We got people who say that they follow Christ and that they thank God that they are forgiven, but they can't forgive other people. And as we walk into the new year, many of us have declared that we want to win in 2020, that 2020 is going to be our year. And let me rush to say that I believe that this can be the truth, but the harsh reality is that this year is going to look like every other year of your life. If you do not bring yourself into alignment with God and into obedience with his word, this, this is what it really means, beloved, for you to get yourself together. It means that you set yourself up to receive the favor of God by getting on his page. And for many of us, that means accepting this truth. 
You cannot put your hands on the promise of your future while still holding on to the pain of your past. Let me say that again. You cannot put your hands on the promise of your future while still holding on to the pain of your past. In other words, God will not allow you to hold your blessing and your grudge at the same time. And if we want to receive the blessings that God has for us in the present, then we must decide to let go of the pain of our past. And this is hard for us because many of us struggle with unforgiveness and we hold on to grudges and we refuse to release offenses because deep down in our hearts, hear me, we don't truly trust God to properly deal with our pain or to punish those who hurt us. I know we don't want to admit it out loud. We don't want to say things like that. We might be afraid to admit stuff like that out loud in church but the real reason why we don't want to release our pain and the people who inflicted our pain to God is because deep down we believe that we can do a better job than God at punishing our enemies and protecting our feelings God help me we believe that if we hold on to the grudge uh, if we never forget what they did and 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 how it made us feel then we'll be able uh, to make sure that we never get hurt that way again but the reality of what happened happens is we find ourselves locked in a prison of paranoia unable to really connect with anybody because we're afraid to get hurt uh, we're, we're afraid uh, to, to open up to people we got repeatedly triggered memories that we can't let go of and we start telling ourselves lies like we like to be alone and we really not people people uh, because we're just afraid to open up to anyone and because we don't trust anybody's motives and the sad part is we believe that our our pain gives us the right to take vengeance into our own hands. Yeah, we, we, we believe that because we were hurt, because something genuinely happened to us, we have the right to take vengeance into our own hands. But if we're really going to get ourselves together this year, then we have to get free from the spirit of bitterness and do the hard work of trusting God to handle our pain and the people who caused our pain. And I know that might be hard for us to wrap our minds around, but, but that's really what Paul is telling us in the text. Paul is writing to a church that is in the capital city of the Roman Empire. And because this church has such a prolific platform in the culture Paul is deciding to write to this church to give them an explanation of the gospel message and then after making sure that they understand the truth of the gospel Paul moves to explain to them how the truth of the gospel should influence their behavior by giving them some guidelines for how they should conduct themselves as Christ's covert operatives in the earth Paul says, look, you've been saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are living in the capital of the Roman Empire. So let me tell you how to navigate with success this anti-Christian culture. That's what Paul is trying to tell them. Uh, he's trying to teach them how to live in a major metropolitan city as ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And this is where we pick up at the end of chapter 12. Paul, in chapter 12, has already told us in in verse number one, that we're supposed to live as living sacrifices and not to be conformed to the pattern of the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind in verse number two. And then in verses three through eight, Paul tells us to use our spiritual gifts with humility and wisdom so that the body can be blessed. And then in verses nine through 12, y'all still with me? Paul tells us how we should treat our brothers and sisters in the body. 
But then in verses 14 through 21, it really gets interesting because it's there that Paul shifts from telling us how to treat our brothers and sisters in Christ to telling us how to treat our enemies. Yeah, yeah. Paul, Paul does not just give us instructions on how we are to conduct ourselves with people who go to church with us, think like us, worship like us, treat us like the Bible say treat us. Paul spends the end of the chapter telling us how to treat people who are out to hurt us. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's, that's what he's telling us in verses 14 through 21. Paul says, look, I, 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 I really want to help you. And so to help you, I've got to tell you uh, how to be blessed in the new year. This is what Paul is saying. Paul says, I want to help you by telling you that if you want the blessings of a new year, you can't hold on to the offenses of the old year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you, you've got to leave what happened in the year it happened. Yeah, you, you can't carry old offenses into the new year. And so Paul is saying, look, I, I, I want you to understand how you're going to be blessed. And so in the first sentence of verse 19, Paul says this. He says, look, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room. Everybody say leave room for the wrath of God. Now, this is difficult because many of us will never actually take revenge. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll never actually take revenge. Some of us are too saved or too scared to do it. But what we'll do is we'll hold on to grudges and harbor offenses because even if we never take revenge, hear me, we still feel as if we are owed revenge. And as believers, we have to understand that God does not just operate with us based on our actions. God operates based on the thought processes behind our actions. In other words, when God commands us, hear me now, to let go of vengeance, he is not just commanding us to let go of the act of vengeance. He is also commanding us to let go of the idea of vengeance because you are not ready for the next level if you are still hoping something happens to the people that hurt you on the previous level. You have not properly learned the lesson that the pain was supposed to teach you if you're still angry about the pain. And God will not promote somebody who is bitter. And that's why so many of us are still stuck. You come into church and you're tithing and you're serving and you're fasting and you're praying, but you're stuck on the same level because something happened to you in the past and you can't let it go. And the strategy of the enemy is to get you so caught up in who hurt you and how bad it made you feel that you become consumed by bitterness because the devil knows that God does not bless bitter people because he can't trust them to be a blessing so Paul tells us in verse 19 never take your own revenge but leave room for the wrath of God and this goes against everything that is in us because when people hurt us we want to get them back God help me when, when people do things to us when they betray our trust when they hurt us we want to get vengeance but God 
tells us not to take vengeance, but to leave room for his wrath. And so how then do I leave room for God to do what God does? Number one, I have to accept the fact that God is going to do what's best for his glory, even if it's not what's best for my feelings. Ooh, let me say that one more time. I, I leave room for the wrath of God. By understanding that God is going to do what is best for his glory. Even if that's not what's best for my feelings. You got to understand this. I want to make it clear. God's priority is his glory. Not making the people that hurt you pay. Yeah, yeah. And the reason why many of us are unable to walk in forgiveness is because we fail to realize that God loves the people who hurt me just like he loved me when I was hurting him. And I've got to learn to be okay with the fact that sometimes, yes, David, God gets the glory. King David, not David Pugh. God gets the glory by killing my enemies. But then sometimes God gets the glory by correcting my enemies. God help me. See, see, y'all ain't ready for that. You too immature to see your enemies get saved. God says sometimes I'm glorified by slaughtering the ones who hurt you. But then sometimes I'm glorified by saving the ones who hurt you. And what God is saying is that if you're really going to let go of the spirit of bitterness, you've got to get to the place where you are okay with however God decides to do it. God says how However I decide to do it, it's not about you and your pain. It's about me and my glory. And the reason why many of us cannot be blessed is because we're more concerned with God making us feel better than we are about God actually getting the glory from our pain. Yeah, so I, I've got to accept the fact that God is going to do what's best for his glory, even if it's not what's best for my feelings. But then secondly, I've got to refuse... To let the reality of my trauma rob me of the truth. And the truth is, I survived it. Yeah. Y'all missed it. Let me say it again. Uh, the, the, the way I leave room for the wrath of God is by refusing to let my trauma, the reality of my trauma, rob me of the truth. And the truth is, it happened it hurt, it put me behind, but I survived it. God help me. And sometimes, beloved, we can be so focused on the reality of what happened to us that we forget that Satan does not send adversity to hurt us. He sends it to kill us. This means that any attempt that you survive is a failed attempt. God help me. And if you survive the attack of the devil in your money, in your mind, in your ministry, in your marriage, on your job, you should thank God because it was sent to kill you, but you made it out. God help me. Y'all ain't going to say nothing to me. Uh, the truth of the matter is Satan wasn't trying to hurt you. He was trying to kill you. It was a kill shot. Every time he comes after you, he's trying to take you out. But the beauty of your life is that in spite of the devil, best attempts you made it yeah oh lord I'm out of time look uh, you, you survived it yeah you, you survived it the devil doesn't want you to, to celebrate the fact that you survived it but you made it out 
And the, and the reality is, I, I, I've got to move. The reality is, most people underestimate you because you don't look like you survived everything you survived. God, help me. Uh, yeah, you, you, you don't look like the person that went through all of the things that you went through. Because there are people that you see every week that been through less than you, but they look worse than you. God, help me. They didn't grow up where you grew up. They didn't have to deal with what you deal, deal, dealt with. They, they didn't have to see what you saw. They, they didn't have to live how you lived. But they look worse than you because God says you survived it. But you don't even look like you've been through. Okay. I got to quit. If we want to receive the blessings that God has for us in this season, we've got to let go of the pain of the last season. Paul tells the church at Rome, hear me, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. This is a hard command because it requires us to trust God with our pain, with, with the areas of our lives that we try to act like don't exist. But on the inside, we know we deal with it every day. And if many of us would be honest, we would have to admit that we've tried forgiveness. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we tried to be forgiving. We've, we've tried to let it go. But, but the best we've been able to accomplish is maybe getting to the point where we don't cry about it anymore. Or we, we don't curse out loud when we think about it. Out loud when we think about it. Out, out loud when we think about it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. There, there may be some things happening on the inside, but I'm, 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 I'm delivered enough to where I don't cuss out loud. But, but, but God says, I want more than just fake deliverance. God says, I, I, I want you to get to the place where you can really let it go. And the, answer, the question that we got to ask is, how do we let it go so that we can grab hold? To all the blessings God wants to give us. And, and I believe that those, those answers are here for us in verses 19 through 21. I'm going to move quick because my time is up. So, so how, 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 how do, I, do I let it go? First of all, if I'm going to let it go, I have to understand that justice is God's jurisdiction. Yeah. Justice is God's jurisdiction. Look at verse 19. He says, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. Why? For it is written, vengeance is mine. Look, look what Paul says. Paul says, he's quoting now Proverbs. And he's reminding us that revenge, vengeance, retribution, payback, justice, belongs to God it is the sole property of God he says vengeance is mine yeah it belongs to me you hear what I'm saying God says that revenge is my possession yeah it belongs to me revenge is that part of the whole that I say is mine you can govern the other areas, but this part belongs to me. You, you, God, God says, I'm, I want you to understand my ownership. And just like it is almost like the tithe. 
Just like God declares that you have the right to rule over the 90, but you return to me the 10th so that I don't curse the 100. He's saying vengeance is mine like that. The same way you don't touch my tithe, you don't touch my vengeance. Yeah. The same way that my right to that 10% is holy, my right to get your enemies is holy. And the same way I would not want to get on God's bad side by robbing him of the tithe. I don't want to get on God's bad side by robbing him of vengeance. I don't want to take something that belongs to God in my hands because I cannot handle it. What do you mean you can't handle it? The truth is the reason why justice is in God's jurisdiction, beloved, is because we do not have the capacity to really do justice. Yeah, you can look at the criminal justice system in the United States and with all those educated student loan indebted lawyers in that justice system, we still have a 63% conviction overturn rate because they get it wrong. We've murdered people with the death penalty that should have gone home that were later exonerated on DNA evidence. We can't do justice right. Some of y'all got family members that's in jail now for stuff they shouldn't even be in jail for because we are proof that we cannot do justice right. We can't do justice right because we don't have all of the information. All we have at best is our side of the story. This is also then why you can't properly pay somebody back for your pain. Because when you're trying to figure out how to get them back, all you can think about is your pain. You can't see God's purpose for the person because all you're concerned about is your pain. All you're concerned about is how bad you're hurting and what they said to you and how it made you feel and how they betrayed you and walked away from you and cheated you and all, all of that. You're, you're concerned about that, but you're not thinking about the fact that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so God says, since your vision is skewed, stay out my business. Since you cannot see properly, Stay out my business. Vengeance is mine. Okay, I got to move. Uh, so I, I got to remember that justice is God's jurisdiction. God says vengeance is mine. But then number two, how do I let it go? I must trust that God will make them pay if I stay out of his way. Yeah, I have to trust that God will make them pay if I stay out of his way. Yeah. Because he says, verse 19, he says, vengeance is mine. I might repay. I can repay. I could repay if I feel like it. That ain't what he says. He says, I will repay. And just in case uh, anybody wants to act like God's not talking about the repay that we talking about, that word in the Greek uh, is very simple. It means payment for wrongdoing. God says, look, vengeance belongs to me. And I'm going to get them back. See, part of the character of God is that God is just. And he is holy. Because he is holy, he does not tolerate sin. Okay, 
He does not tolerate iniquity. He does not tolerate wrong. Right? And because he is just, he will eventually punish all wrong. Even if your enemy gets saved, God is still going to repay him. God help me. See? Because be not deceived. God is not mocked. This is one of my daughter's memory verses. Whatever a man soweth, that shall you also reap. And you've got to live with the confidence that if you stay out of God's way, that God will make sure that your enemies get what's coming to them. Now, now, now you can't be consumed with your enemies getting what's coming to them. Because if you get consumed with your enemies getting got, when they don't get got the way you think they should get got, you're going to be mad at the Lord. But God says, you've got to trust me that I'm going to make them pay. Oh, 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 oh and by the way, just because they're smiling on Facebook and posting on social media and going on trips and going on with their life so far as you know, that doesn't mean that they are not paying. And if you got to know every time somebody is paying for what they did to you, you're not ready for the next level. You do not need to know when they're paying. You just make sure that you stay out of God's way. Okay. I got to remember that justice is God's jurisdiction. He says vengeance is mine. But then I got to remember that God will make them pay if I stay out of his way. Number three, how do I let it go? I have to have the faith. Hear me now. I have to have the faith to move in mercy when life offers me the upper hand. I know you don't get it, but I'm in a text. Verse, verse 20. He says, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, Give him a drink. God, help me. Uh, he, he says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. But, 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 but I have to help you. The language of the text suggests this. This is not a one-time occurrence. He, he's not saying, if your enemy is hungry, one time, feed him. He's not saying, if your enemy is thirsty, one time, give him something to drink. But the grammatical structure of the Greek text says this. If your enemy is hungry, be feeding him. If your enemy is thirsty, be giving him a drink. God help me. Which means that God says, oh, I've now put you in a position to where the ones that hurt you need your help. This has to be God. Because out of all the food and drink places that my enemy could have went to, somehow or another, God orchestrated it to where they're coming before me. Now here is the test to see if you're really delivered. If you're really delivered, then you're able to help your enemy when God puts them under your power. 
But you're not ready if when your enemy is on their knees before you, you got to smash them down even lower. God help me. See, see, some of us want to see our enemies because we want to hurt them once they under our thumb. And we don't realize that that's not why God gives you the upper hand. God gives you the upper hand so that your enemy can give God the glory. I know you don't see it. Let me help you. Verse 19 says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Verse 20 says, but. Literally means, but as for you. If your enemy is hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them a drink. He's saying, I got vengeance. I'm going to pay. Your responsibility is if they need something, help them out. Okay, God, why are you telling me to help my enemy out? You ain't, telling, you ain't telling me to put a boundary up because they toxic. You didn't say block their number. You, you, you didn't say act like they don't exist. You said that if they need something, be in the process, be in the habit of meeting their need. In other words, my enemy should be able to know that they can count on me. If they in need. Because it didn't say feed. Give them, it says be feeding and be giving. You hear what I'm saying? But, but, but why does God call us to do that? He calls us to do it because God says, I'm going to get them. But I want your hands to be clean. I want them to know when I get them that it was me that got them. And the way that I make sure that your hands are clean is if you act like they ain't wronged you even when you know that they've done you wrong. Oh God. Because when I come through, I don't want them to be like, oh man, he had something to do with this. She, she had something to do with this. No, they need to know that you didn't do anything but help them, anything but love on them, anything but try to be a blessing to them so that when God gets them, they know it was him. This is where most of us fail. We can get to the place where we don't talk about it. We can get to the place where we're not messy about it. But when life gives us the upper hand, God help me. When God says, they used to talk about you because you was broke, but now they broke and they need your help. They, they, they used to laugh at you when you were catching the bus and didn't have a car, but now their car broke down and they need you to give them a ride. God says that's when your faith is tested. I'm testing your maturity. And if you can't do this, then you can't go to the next level. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah, if you still got to let people know, only a weak man or a weak woman wants to let somebody know how much power they got. It's immaturity that stands up and declares I'm grown. Only hurt people stand up and talk about how healed they are. But you're really healed. Not when you don't cry about it. Not when you posting pictures with your new boo. 
You're over it when you're able to be a blessing to somebody who bruised you. I, I got to have the faith. Now see, this means then that, 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 that I, I do this now, not in my flesh, but I do this in faith. It's faith that allows me to move in mercy. Whew. Huh. It's faith, my bad, and a good memory. Because I move in mercy not because, thank you, Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost just gave this to me. I, I move in mercy not because I believe that God's going to get my enemies, but I move in mercy out of gratitude for the fact that when God should have been out to get me, he moved in mercy towards me. God help me. See, if you're not saved, you can't get excited about that. But if you realize that God should have threw you away, God should have destroyed you, God should have cast you out, God should have left you by yourself, God should have made you have to deal with the consequences of your unholiness and your wickedness and your unrighteousness. But when he should have pushed you away, he pulled you close. God says, if you remember how I did that for you, then you should be able to do it to your enemies. That's why anybody who claims to know the Lord but has an issue with forgiveness probably has an issue with their salvation. Yeah. If you can hold on to a grudge after all the things that God has forgiven you from, then that probably means that you don't understand everything that God had to forgive you from. See, some of us are crazy enough to be sitting up in here and we'll never say it out loud, right? But we think about it when we hear somebody else's testimony and they talk about all the stuff they've been through and we ain't been through. And we're like, oh God, my, my Lord. We, we, we judge them on the inside because you think that because you didn't do everything that everybody else did that you were easier to save than other people. Yeah, yeah. You, you think that because you didn't go to college and wild out and go crazy and do all the things that the rest of us did uh, because you don't know how to roll a blunt, because you don't know how to do all the other things that, 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 that everybody else knows how to do. You think that it took less blood to save you than it took for your neighbor. Uh, but, 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 but you got to understand that there was one price. God help me. That, that there was one man. There, there were only two hands and two feet. There was only one side that was pierced. Everybody had to pay the same price to get saved and it is through Jesus Christ and his blood right that, that, like, and if you can't forgive others maybe you've messed around and forgotten that you're only here because you've been forgiven Oh, I know what they did to you. I know. I, I, know, I, know, I know what text messages you found in their phone. I know what you've seen. I, 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 know, I know what happened to you. I know what you saw on Facebook. Uh, and, you, and you are right to be hurt and offended uh, and to feel betrayed. Uh, but, 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 but when you get ready to bring it up again in the next argument, uh, here's God talking to you. God says, uh, the next time you offend me, can I remind you? Uh, uh, because because no matter how bad they hurt you, beloved, uh, uh, you didn't have to kill your son so they could go to heaven. You, you, don't, 
You, you might not believe that they're telling the truth when they say that they're going to do better and they're they going to fix it and that it's going to get better. You might not believe it, but how many times have you told me, Lord, if you get me out of this, I, I ain't going to do it no more. And, and, and I know you're lying when you fix your mouth to say it, but I bring you out anyway. And then you go back gossiping and talking crazy anyway. After you said you wouldn't do it no more, you still keep the same. For God says, if you can treat me like that and I forgive you, then you should be able to move in mercy towards your enemies based off of how God moves in mercy towards you. And it is not just the move of salvation. God moves in mercy to you every day. When you're sitting in worship and you're trying to decide whether or not you're going to lift your hands because you don't feel like it. God is moving towards you in mercy. When, 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 when you know that you're supposed to do something and you choose not to do it, God is moving towards you in mercy. And you've got to decide that when God allows your enemies to come back to you needing your help, you've got to decide to move in mercy. All right, this is the last one and I'm done. I got, I got to quit. Uh, how do I let it go? I got to remember that justice is God's jurisdiction. He said, vengeance is mine, right? Then I got to trust that God will make them pay if I stay out of the way. He says, I will repay. Third, if I'm going to let it go, I got to have the faith to move in mercy when life offers me the upper hand. When my enemies come back needing me, I can't treat them crazy. I got to stay under the radar so that when God gets them, they know it was God. Amen. And then finally, if I'm going to let it go, I have to beat bitterness by refusing to rehearse the wrongs and remembering the goodness of my God. I, I have to beat bitterness by refusing to rehearse the wrongs and remembering the goodness of my God. I'm going to say that one more time. I, I've got to beat bitterness by refusing to rehearse the wrongs and remembering the goodness of my God. I, I've got to be honest with you. Uh, anybody... You know, aspiring preachers, armchair theologians, Coriana the prophetess, uh, this text messed me up. I'm going to be honest. It, it, it messed me up because I'm reading and I'm with it, right? 19. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. I'm there, right? For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I'm there. Then it says, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. I'm there. By doing so, you'll heap coals of fire, burning coals on his head, right? I'm, I'm there. But then this verse 21 comes and bothers me. Because he says, don't be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Now, on the surface, that makes sense, right? That, that, sounds, that sounds simple. Um, but y'all know, like, I really study the Bible. So, Jay, when I'm looking at the Greek text, 
it, it reads a little different. It says, don't be overcome by the evil, but overcome the evil with the good. He, he says, the evil and the good. So I'm tripping, Mike, because I'm trying to figure out who, when he says the, it changes. Right? It, it puts a definite article. That's what it's called grammatically. My mother had to help me with that. That, that definite article makes it not just arbitrary evil, but it, it is a systematic attack of evil. And he's saying now there is a strategy behind your pain. And the strategy is, hear me, to overcome you with evil so that you can become bitter about what happened to you. He's saying don't be overcome by the evil, by the divorce, by the heartbreak, by the pain, the, the event, by the scandal. He says don't be overcome by the evil. But then this is the part. But overcome evil with the good. I thought at first he was talking about good deeds, right? That if I do enough good deeds, that'll keep me from getting bitter. But anybody who's ever done good deeds knows that sooner or later your good deed meter goes down and you can't do good deeds like you used to in your own flesh. You might be able to sustain it for a while, but, but after a while you become even bitter and lethargic with the good deeds that you've done, right? So he couldn't be talking about overcoming evil by doing good deeds. So then, Brother Herman, I said maybe he's talking about overcoming evil by thinking good thoughts. Because if I think positive thoughts and I believe positive things, then, 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 then all of my self-help gurus and motivational speakers tell me that I'll have positive results. But there are some of us in the room who've lived long enough to know that you can have all the positive confession that you want. Life still happens sometimes. Yeah. You can declare healed over a sick body all you want. But then when you go to the doctor and those test results still come back with you sick, how do you handle it? It doesn't matter how many positive thoughts you think. Positive thoughts can't help you overcome the evil. So I'm trying to figure out what is the good that I'm supposed to use to overcome the evil. And then I remember what Jesus said in Mark. When the rich young ruler came to him and said, good teacher. Jesus said to the young man, he says, don't call me good. There is none good except God himself. So Jesus tells us that the way I overcome bitterness is by not dwelling on all the things that happen, but remembering the goodness of the good God that was with me while people were hurting me. God help me. He says if you want to keep yourself from getting bitter, you've got to learn how to focus on God. God help me. Okay, so there were two things then that I have to know about my struggle, about my offense. You ready? Number one, I got to move quick. The offense was real, but God helped me through it. God help me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The offense was real. It happened. It hurt. It, it made me cry. I still cry about it. But the truth is, God saw me 
through it, God helped me see. I wish some people would get excited about the fact that God will see you through trouble, that he won't let you sit in trouble by yourself. But God says, I'm going to see you through it. I'm going to make sure that you survive. That is your testimony, beloved. He says, look, I went through hell. You went through hell, but I went through hell with you. I saw you through it. I made sure that you were able to stand through the trial. But that's not the shouting part. This is the shouting part, and I'm done. Not only uh, was the offense real, but God kept me through it. The offense was real, but God perfected me with it. God helped me. Ooh, ooh. Uh, uh, the, the offense was real, but God used it to make me better. God helped me. As a matter of fact, I think that some of the things we go through that we think we can't make it through when we're going through, God allows those things so that we can find out that we're not as fragile as we thought we were. That, that we're not as easily broken as the devil thought we were. God says, I'm sending this to you so that you can learn something about me, so that you can learn something about yourself, and so that you can learn something about your enemies. I, I want you to learn about me, that I'll never leave you or forsake you. I want you to learn about me, that I'll see you through every problem. I, I want you to learn about me, that there is no mountain high enough, no valley low enough, no river wide enough to keep me from getting to you in the time of trouble. But when you feel like you're losing your mind you got to understand that God says I'm with you in the midst of the storm but not only that I want you to learn something about me I want you to learn something about yourself you're not as weak as the devil tried to make you feel like you were that man walking away from you is not going to destroy you that problem that you had is not going to be the end of you you're not going to kill yourself because of depression baby black people been depressed in America for 400 years and you still ain't been able to kill us because we don't die we multiply you'll be able to make you through it. God said you're going to be able to go through it with your head held high. But then lastly, I want you to know not just something about me, not just something about yourself, but I want you to know something about your enemy. There is nothing that the devil has in his arsenal that is able to defeat you. And if you stand up against the devil, he will flee from you. God help me. So you got to let it go by remembering that God helped you in the midst of that struggle. It hurt you, but God made you better. It, it hurts you, but God perfected you with it. Now you know what to look for. You know what a snake looks like. You know what a dog looks like. You know what a liar looks like. You know what it looks like when they fronting on the first date, but they really ain't got it together. You know what it looks like when they're trying to pretend to be spiritual so that they can get you to do something in the flesh. And God says, now you know better, so I can help you, but you got to let go of the pain. I thought, I thought that would have shouted you. Uh, oh, I know why you're not shouting. Um, you're not shouting because I forgot to tell you what happened to my son and the vase. Yeah, I, I, I forgot to tell y'all what happened with Junior and the vase. So my son has his hand stuck in the vase. He's dragging the vase and trying to pull his arm out. And he's crying. And my son is so fixated on the fruit snack that now he won't let it go. I said, son, let it go. He said, daddy, my snack. I said, son, let it go. He said, daddy, my snack. My mom said, Joshua, in the cabinet in the kitchen, there's a box of fruit snacks. 
go in the box and get him another pack of snacks. I said, Mom, he got a pack of snacks right there. What, what, why do I need to get him another pack of snacks? Why do I need to get him something else uh, uh, to get him? She said, just go get the snacks. And I go get the snacks. I come back. And she says, Jew, look what your daddy has. Jew turns around, sees me with the snacks. He lets go of the snacks that are in the vase. Pulls his hand out of the vase and walks to his father to get the snacks from my hand. God, help me. Because he understood that his father had something better in his hand. God, help me. Than he had in his hand. God, help me. And I don't know who I'm preaching to, but God told me to tell you that many of us are stuck because we haven't realized that what we're holding is really holding us. And we'd be free if we would just let go. God, help me. And I don't know who I'm preaching to, but there's somebody in here that needs to let go. Let, let go of the mistake. Let, let go of the argument. Let, let go of the betrayal. Let go of the rumor. Look at somebody. Find them now. Let's have church for a minute. Find somebody and tell them, let it go. Let it Let it go. go. I know they passed you over for the promotion, but let it go. I know they lied to you and they played with your emotions, but let it go. I know that your daddy wasn't there and that your mama didn't have it all together, but let it go. I know that the people at your last church were mean to you, but let it go. I know that your last leader let you down, but let it go. I know that your spouse said something to hurt you in an argument, but let it go. I know that your family is jacked up, but let it go. You want to hold on to it because you think that holding on to it gives you power. But when you let it go, you'll find out that you'll finally be free. And when you get free, you'll find out that your father has something for you in his hand that was better than what you had.